0: Welcome to this, the third message in this series on the Lord's Prayer. I'm simply entitling it, The Savior's Seminar on Prayer. This lesson by Jesus on Prayer came in response to a request from one of his uh, disciples, and Thankfully, it has been recorded for us by both Luke and Matthew. And it is to Matthew's account that we are turning to Matthew chapter 6. In past messages, we have given some consideration to some of the, the dangers and delights that our Lord refers to in his introduction to this particular prayer. The dangers associated with uh, primarily the the public image that we seek to give when we pray, when we're called upon to to pray in in public, sadly we, we, we give attention to people who are listening to us rather than to our Heavenly Father who is hearing us. So that there is that temptation to try to to impress people, uh, maybe with our piety or with our ability in in prayer. There's also the, the danger associated with the multiplicity of words. I was most interested during the week in my reading for this message to come across this comment by the saintly Samuel Rutherford. He said, words are but the accidents of prayer. Now, he was using that word accidents in a way that we're not familiar with in our day. When we think of accidents, I'm sure we think of a mishap, maybe a a collision or a crash on the freeway or the the motorway. But for Rutherford and and his generation, an accident was, was anything that was not of the essence of a thing. Let me try and unpackage that for you. Um, you go to buy a new car, maybe Saturday afternoon. You go out looking to buy a family, a new vehicle. And of course, looking for a motor car, you're, you're looking for something with a motor. You're looking for uh, maybe a particular shape of body. And of course, it must have wheels. These are the essence of a motor car. These are the essential features of a motor car. But then beyond that, you're you're looking for some particular uh, accessories, um, air conditioning, heated seats, sunroof, tow bar, whatever. These accessories, these these add-ons, as it were, to this. You know, I, I I'm an old guy, as you can see, and I remember when a heater in a car was a wonderful accessory. Well. Our word accessory somewhat relates to Rutherford's word accidents. Anything that is not of the essence of a thing. So that a motor car without air conditioning is still a motor car. A motor car without heated seats is still a motor car. Without a sunroof, it's still a motor car. They are not essential. So what was Rutherford's point? Well, the point he was making was this, that that what is essential to true prayer is the state of mind and heart, that conviction of our utter dependence upon God, the confession that he is our Father in heaven, and that certainty that he will hear us speak with him. Those are the things that make true prayer, prayer, not particular words that we use. So that the the delight in prayer is us coming to God, to have communion with God. It's the cry of our hearts to our Father, not the precise words that we employ that are the key the true to faithful and prevailing prayer. The Father wants communion with his children. is not after some high performance of religious duty. So given that, come back with me please to, to Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 6 and verse 9, and to those words, pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here implied is the need of the prayer to make an essential examination of his relationships or her relationships with others. An essential examination because how does this prayer begin? Our Father. That little word our which points us to the essential fellowship we must have with all those in the family of God. A Christian in fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, but also in fellowship with one another. You see, what what attitude, what spirit is to characterize us when we pray? Well, from this little word, our, We're pointed to the spirit of harmony. You notice that our Lord would have chosen his words with care and thoughtfulness. And important to notice what words we find here that are repeated. And what words are repeated here? Well, the first person plural pronouns. Our and us our Father, and then give us, forgive us, deliver us. This prayer is a prayer of the family of God, an individual coming but recognizing that he is part of the body of Christ. Philip Wrighton in his uh, book, The Prayer of Our Lord, Uh, records uh, a little poem which brings out this point very clearly. Let me read it to you. I quote, You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say, I. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say, My. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea. From the beginning to the end of it, it never once says, Me. So what does this imply? A unity amongst God's people. A harmony amongst God's children. And this is a point that our Lord has already dealt with in this Sermon on the Mount. I'm thinking of the words that you find in chapter 5. Listen to them. And Jesus said, therefore, if you're offering your gifts at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in the front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. The need for reconciliation. The need for a harmonious relationship amongst the people and the children of God before they would come. This is the examination required. This is what's expected, that we investigate our heart's attitude towards others. Peter, in his first epistle, touches upon this in a most homely way, and I would say in a most searching way. Peter has been speaking about the relationship between husbands and wives, and what does he say? I'm reading first Peter, chapter three and verse seven. "Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as with you of the gracious gift of life. so that. Nothing will hinder your prayers. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that uncomfortable, men, husbands? That our relationship with our wives, the nature of our relationship with our wives, the quality of our relationship with our wives, impacts upon our praying. Somebody's put it like this. The sighs of the injured wife come between the husband's prayers and God's hearing. There is to be harmony in the home. There is to be harmony in the heart for harmony in prayer. But then this investigation, this essential examination, also points to us of the, the spirit of Honesty when we pray. Because how foolish to try and pretend and play act before the God who knows us through and through, who sees us all together. So that we come in harmony and we come with honesty, even honesty about our praying. As it has been said, often we have to admit that we should have prayed a prayer before we began our prayers and that prayer should have been in C.S. Lewis's words may it be the real I who speak and may it be the real thou that I speak to. My friends, do we not have to confess that often Far too often, our prayers are cold and contrived, formal and short. There's little passion, little fervency, little earnestness in them. Except at times when trial and trouble comes upon us. Because they're the times when, isn't it true, we really do pray. Pray. But our our comfort in the confession of our inadequacy and troubles and difficulties with prayer brings a degree of comfort to us. The comfort from knowing that the struggle that, that we have with prayer has been the struggle of all true believers down through the ages. We're not the first. And we're not alone. And in addition to that, when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, he was not suggesting that we would attain that status in this lifetime, but that as his children, this is something that we aspire to. And so it is with prayer. It is the most spiritual thing that we do. And though we struggle with no, though we strive with it, like, like the Apostle Paul's commitment and confession to the Philippians, we, we don't give up, but we, we, we press on. We press on. Because God in his providential goodness, God in his grace to us, even uses our inadequacies and our sense of weakness and struggle. To cultivate within us, thirdly, the spirit of humility. So that we are forced so often to confess before God. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Or the words of David. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Our Father. An essential examination for how dwells the love of God in our hearts for our brothers and for our sisters. So may, may I suggest that the Apostles' call for self examination at the communion table where we we look at our own hearts and attitudes and actions and lives before we eat and drink, that that call for examination also comes before we pray, before we say a word at a prayer meeting. We look at our lives and our relationships with others. But now I want to step back for a moment. And I want to look now at the prayer from a bird's eye perspective. Because there's a lesson here for us, even to be learned, from the evident progression of this prayer. Not only a call for an essential examination, but to look at the evident progression. Because how does this prayer unfold? Well, depending upon how you classify verse 13, you either have six or seven petitions here. The significant point, though, is this. Three out of the six petitions, or three out of the seven, if that's the route you're taking, those three out of the six or seven have to do with God and His glory the glory of his name, the glory of his kingdom, the glory of his will. So that prayer, while directed to God, is also distinctly for God. Because it's only after expressing our concern for God that we come to deal with the concerns of ourselves, our provision, bread, our Pardon from sin or protection from evil? So that the lesson of the progression of the prayer is clear, we do not, even when we come to the exercise or subject of petition in prayer, begin with ourselves. We pray to God and we pray about God. We express our heart's concern for His worship. For His adoration. For His prayers. God comes first. So that when we step back and look at this prayer, we see that half of this prayer is taken up with Him. So how do we pray? Well, think of Romans chapter 11 verse 36 for from him and that's prayer and through him and that's prayer and to him and that's prayer are all things to him be the glory forever prayer is that which is directed to God is distinctly for God and then is also derived from God that may seem obvious to you but let, let me let me unpack it a little bit because the inference is that what God promises and what God proposes comes to pass as a result of prayer. Let me illustrate what I mean. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we read of God's amazing and abundant promises to Israel. It's it's a chapter filled with the I wills of God. I will do this. I will do that. I will, I will, I will, I will. And then you get down to verse 37 where you read these words. I will yet be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. That is, he links his promises and his purposes to his people's praying. I will do this. And included in the this is, I will cause you to ask of me. And so here in Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10, we have the three, your prayers. Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what do we discover? Matthew uses three imperatives which convey a mandatory sound. The meaning is, God's name shall most surely be held. God's kingdom will most surely come. God's will shall most surely be fulfilled and done. Each petition will be answered because God moves hearts to pray for them. That the means the Lord employs to accomplish His purposes and to fulfill His promises is the means of prayer. He grants to His people the spirit of intercession in order to fulfill His will. And then when you you look at the three us petitions, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, protect us from evil. What gives us confidence about these things? Well, surely the fact that we're praying to the God above, our Father who is in heaven. And knowing Him, the amazing grace of our Father, the astounding and awesome greatness of our Father in Heaven, our knowledge of Him, that revelation He has given to us of Himself, gives to us the assurance and the confidence to ask of Him. So that, What God promises is inseparably linked to prayer. And he is the one who moves us to prayer so that he will accomplish his will. We have an essential examination to apply, an evident progression to adopt. And so, thirdly, and finally, what is this petition that our Lord begins with? Hallowed be your name. And here is an eternal petition. It was the Puritan Thomas Watson who wrote these words when some of the other petitions shall be useless and out of date as we shall not need to pray in heaven give us our daily bread nor forgive us our sins nor lead us not into temptation yet the hallowing of god's name will be of great use and request in heaven for we shall ever be seen hallelujah which is nothing else but the hallowing of God's name. And that's an eternal petition. So what's involved in this first petition? Well, here is, exclaimed, the Father's desire. His chief desire is to glorify himself. We often quote that answer to the Shorter Catechism's question, what is the chief end of man? And we say the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And what is the chief end of God? The chief end of God is to glorify himself. And this is why he has made the world and all within and without it. You think of Paul's doxology in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the, the the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be The glory. What was it that John saw and heard and recorded for us in the book of the Revelation? Listen to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever. The twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and lay their their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they are created and have their being. What is His will? The heavens will declare the glory of God. And what was on the heart of the Savior when he did give to us the Lord's Prayer in John 17? Listen to his words as he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is life eternal, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory i had with you before the world began god's great desire the father's desires for his own glory and thus he would have us pray to that end because what is the significance of that word name in this petition hallowed be your name god's name is not just a a title that he has. But it identifies him and expresses who he is as to his person, as to his character, as to his attributes. It reflects who this Father is, that the various names that he reveals to us in Scripture reveal his divine nature and his eternal qualities. And so Jeremiah declared, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. That is, God himself is mighty in power. Or the words of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In other words, how majestic you are in all the earth. This petition gives to us and shows to us the Father's desire. But not only His desire, but this petition is given to us because surely it is the family's desire. For the chief end of man is to glorify God through and by the enjoyment of Him forever. So our prayer, the prayer of the Lord's people, the prayer of the Father's children, is that our our Father will be glorified, honored, revered in all things. Our desire surely is that God's name and character would receive the honor and the reverence it deserves. And that our highest goal is that that God's name, that the Father himself will be hallowed and reverenced and worshipped and praised and delighted in by all the nations, world without end. So that in this first petition, in this great petition, we, we, we find a mighty motivation for ministry and for missions. This first petition, this eternal solicitation, is that our Father will be universally and perpetually honored and reverenced by men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and language. And people and nation. And guess what? That prayer which has been offered down through the centuries. And is now offered by us today. Has been heard in heaven. And is being heard in heaven. And the Father will answer it. He will be revered. His name shall be hallowed. Because as we now are able to look into the future, and through the eyes and ears of John, what do we hear? Listen. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you've purchased men for God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then John says, I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousand upon thousands, ten thousand times ten thousand. and They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Pray, hallowed be your name. And his name absolutely will be hallowed, world without end. My friends, what the Father proposes, what the Father purposes, What the Father promises, he is in his own economy, in his own way, ordered that prayer be the means of seeing these things come to fruition. And so we pray, hallowed be your name, and we await with certainty Its glorious fulfillment. And so in the words of Francis ridley Havigal, Oh, the joy to see thee reigning, thee, my own beloved Lord, every tongue thy name confessing, worship, honor, glory, blessing, brought to thee with glad accord, thee, my master and my friend. Vindicated and enthroned unto earth's remotest end. Glorified, adored, and owned. Oh, may we be encouraged to pray. May we be strengthened in our praying. May our prayers be a sweet-smelling savour to God, because they're full of faith and blessed assurance. May God bless this portion of his word to us now. In Jesus' name, Amen.